All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Coach's Box. Thank you for stepping into the Coach's Box. I'm your host, Coach JP3, joined tonight by Coach Natty T. We got NBA, we got NFL, we got Olympic talk. We got all of that for you on tonight's show. But I think it would be, you know, wrong for us. If you want to talk about the draft and everything, too, there was an NBA draft last night that we should probably cover. But that was overshadowed by a big move in La La Land. Russell Westbrook going to the Los Angeles Lakers for Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, Caldwell Pope, and the number 22 pick in Thursday's night and Thursday night's draft. So that a lot of times, you know, on paper, we talked about Coach Natty P that that looked like a lot for Russell Westbrook. Do you think that, you know, who do you think won in this trade? Was it too much or, or, or just right? What do you think? Um, if I have to answer the question, uh, like based on it right now, mm-hmm. I would still say the Lakers won the trade. And I, I just, I say that because like, if I'm looking at it organization wise, I mean, I just think the Lakers are going to go farther than the Wizards. So just based on that, like they won the trade. And just um, for context, Coach Natty T is in DC as we speak. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, it was, shockwaves around the dc area well no i'm just i'm just kidding it was shockwaves i think people knew it was that was coming down the pike once it was kind of reported um but i do think um i do think the lakers got the better end of the trade i say that just because even though it's a lot um i still you know they still need to fill out the rest of the roster so i want to see what they do so that would ultimately answer the question you know because it really just depends on you know, how they kind of replace those other pieces around those three. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, we we were talking about it before we got on air. Uh, I know because Kuzma has talent. There's no doubt about that. But I just feel like I just feel like his time with the Lakers just kind of ran its course. I mean, we saw a few, I think this was this week, you know, with him and, uh, and Schroeder had their little issues all season. <laughs> which is by the way you'll laugh at this because this is what i was talking about with another team that's in new york this is that was an example of what i was talking about a side note but you know when you lose all of a sudden stuff starts coming out of nowhere right but we'll get to that at at a different date um but you know whether it was that with with schroeder um you know obviously the whole kyle kuzma's trainer talking to trash about LeBron, you know, those type of things. It's the same, it's kind of similar with, you know, when family members speak out about certain things, like that's definitely coming from that player. Yeah. So I, I just feel like he, you know, it's one of those, I hate to put it this way, LeBron James casualties, if you will. Because <laughs> yeah. listen, I mean, you know, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, you know, when you play on teams with guys like that I mean you know obviously it's great because you have a high probability of you know getting to the finals winning the finals but you know the spotlight's real 
and the pressure is real. So, you know, some guys just don't mix with it. Um, so, you know, I think from that perspective, even though he has really good talent, I think he'll actually play well here in DC if they, you know, end up keeping him. I don't know if they'll trade him again or something like that, but I think he'll play well, but you know, his time just kind of ran its course with the Lakers. Um, KCP <sighs> talents there, but way too inconsistent. Um, the one that I think may hurt the Lakers and I think what they what a big need that they do have is big men and athletic big men. Mm-hmm. He's and Montrez is a little undersized, but you know, he's still, I mean, he was a six man of the year in 2020. Yeah. So he's still a quality player. And it just seems like last year he just couldn't find his way in the rotation for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as far as the fit with the Lakers, maybe it was just was a bad fit. Um, so that's why I think, you know, ultimately it, it'll be a better trade for the Lakers. And, you know, obviously Russell Westbrook is a very polarizing player. He's a very polarizing individual. Um, but it's kind of ironic because we talked about this. I think it was on one of our IG live stories because I said, I was like, man, like if you, get, you put Russell Westbrook on the Lakers, like I feel like it could work. It could. They would have to establish certain roles and, you know, how they want to, actually play obviously but I just think one of the strengths that LeBron James does have as far as if you look at his track record playing with other you know all-star perennial all-star type players they seem to figure it out Mm -hmm. but I feel like you know and Russell Westbrook I mean he has respect for LeBron James yes Um, and then the fact that they actually did this trade tells me LeBron James signed off on it. They, you know, we all heard of the reports. Him, Russ, and AD had dinner at his house, and they said, hey, let's, let's just kind of team up and do this thing together. So to me, those are all good signs. Um, and, you know, my last point before I let you go, Coach JB3, I think, you know, all the talk is about, well, he can't shoot, and, you know, he's a ball-dominant player, which those things are true. But I think it could work if LeBron is your point guard and kind of he maybe takes a step back on the scoring load and just kind of really be the facilitator, the main decision maker, um, I think they could make it work. I really do. Um, Because I think with Russ, as much as I like Russ, his decision making is questionable, specifically in playoff situations. But I do think with the injury concern with AD, Russ is a guy that you can kind of do the heavy lifting throughout the throughout the regular season. So, you know, we've seen the last two years, you know, LeBron has been, you know, he's usually been Iron Man, but, you know, he's about to be 37. AD's never been healthy in his history. So, you know, if you have a situation like that where one of those guys are out, you have a guy like Russell Westbrook who's pretty durable who can get you through the regular season. So maybe you're not in that playing game. Maybe you stay at a four seed or a three seed. And obviously it's important because that made a big difference in this year's playoffs. So, you know, I think from that perspective, Russell Westbrook will be very valuable because I think he can keep them in that top four quartile of the Western conference, which is going to be very helpful for them in the playoffs. Um, 
and again, ultimately, you know, I, I started with him saying, you know, people are saying, hey, he can't shoot. But the ironic thing is, if you look at the last two NBA champions, <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks and the LA Lakers, they didn't shoot that well from three, ironically. Mm-hmm. They dominated the paint. They rebound very well, and they defended pretty well. Yeah. So the although the league has kind of shifted to this, you know, shoot a lot of threes mindset, it's interesting that the last two champions weren't prolific three-point shooters. Mm-mm. So I think Russell can, as long as he can stay playing to his strengths, which is that mid-range, get into the basket, getting out on a fast break, being aggressive and letting LeBron kind of be the decision maker. I think it could work. I really do. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I I mean, definitely the Lakers are going to make the most of this opportunity out of the two teams. Uh, Washington, I don't think they're done. I think they're going to, if it's not Kuzma, it's going to be someone else or, you know, I don't, because they have, yet to put together a real nucleus. Would they try it for a year? Perhaps. I don't see that this experiment going longer than a year with the roster as currently structured. Uh, so with, you know, but I think, I think those are fun players that Washington's getting. Like you don't mind watching those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think it's good for DC to have, to have that, um, to not lose too much on that, even though you lost on the name. Uh, there's still going to be some exciting basketball being played, but with the Lakers, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about it in terms of yeah. I, I, when I first heard the news, I was like, I wonder which one's going to play off the ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is this going to be a LeBron and Kyrie type deal? Like, are they going to try to to make it work like that? Uh, so, but I, I do agree that if, you know, having to pick one, because I think if Russ is the one that is running the offense more, it's going to throw everyone else off. Cause you still got a lot of people who are used to playing with LeBron. You've kind of built it for LeBron's skill set, And so the throw a cog that's going to be making primary decisions, that's not LeBron isn't going to be helpful for them. Mm-hmm. So I think Ru- Russell is the one that's going to have to adjust the most in this situation, but I feel that to your point, because of who else is on the team, AD, LeBron, people that he respects, he'll say, okay, you know, I'll fit in. I'll fit in. But he's still going to have his opportunities to be Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Because, if, yeah, like with, with LeBron getting older, and it's like, okay, well, you know, I could sit down. I could sit my behind down for a little bit. And, <laughs> you know, and Russ could still adequately you know, run an offense. He doesn't have to do it for 48 minutes, even if he just does it for, you know, 12 to 15 minutes in a game uh, while LeBron sits. I mean, I could see Russell still, you know, getting 18, 8, and 8. You know, he might not get his triple doubles, but he's definitely uh, talented enough to get near those numbers with limited touches. Um, With Anthony Davis, I do agree with your point of him not having to carry as much of a load and even in the sense of like, hey, you're still going to get your touches, but I'm going to make sure that you get your touches in a way that you don't have to do a lot of moving around with the ball, banging in the paint. Like we don't, you don't, we don't have, you don't have to do that as much, as mm-hmm. much. I'm going to get you the ball in the right position. 
I'm going to draw people because Russ Booker's a slasher. So I'm a slash to the basket. People are going to collapse on me. I'm going to kick it to you. Just make the shot. Right. You know, like, so that's going to make it easier on his, on AD's body. Uh, and my biggest concern, I guess, is their, their depth. I just want, I just don't know. Uh, I don't think they're done either uh, as far as acquisition. Oh, no, they're definitely not. Oh, no, they're not done. Oh, no. Their biggest weakness they still haven't addressed, which is their size. And uh, they miss McGee and, and Dwight Howard. Um, you know, they painfully missed those guys this year. They really needed those, them. Uh, and not just because of AD's health, but just for like, hey, you know, let's take some pressure off, off AD, have him sit down for a little bit but to have more people that you can put around the basket um, to kind of bang in the paint, to clean the glass, to block shots. So I, I'm anxious to see who they're going to pick up uh, later on to bring some of that depth. That's my only concern about the Lakers right now. Uh, I can't wait to get, you know, for them to get started uh, for us to watch. I think they're going to be really fun to watch. Uh, Westbrook is going to bring his energy to LA who already has energy. So imagine how explosive that's going to be. He's from LA. It's from LA, yeah. Played for UCLA, so like, uh, this is it's, it's gonna be good. I, I, I thought I would be really upset about it, but it <laughs> bothered me that much because it is more of like the super team, like the three guys coming together. Mm-hmm. I want to see what the league does. Does it make another shift back to where it was when you had you know the big three in Miami and stuff like that, and, and uh, that kind of evolution process? So we'll see about that. Uh, just uh, for an update, so the number 22 pick, actually the Wizards uh, spun that to Indiana to get Aaron Holiday, Drew Holiday's younger brother. Mm-hmm. So the Wizards decided to get Aaron Holiday out of that. Um, Indiana Pacers got the, the 22. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know, are they still going to go after a Buddy Hill to, to get some depth? Because they are going to need a little bit of shooting off, you know, off, but yeah, I think the hardest piece of this was KCP because I think LeBron truly likes him. And, you know, they are under the same, you know, ages, you know, Rich Paul. So, like, I think there was, like, uh, a point where they're like, you know, bro, we got to throw another quality player. They're not going to accept this trade. So, it's either we get Westbrook or you're going to have to give up one of your guys. Mm-hmm. And I think he's like, okay, well, you know, got to do this. Because uh, Caruso wouldn't have been enough in place of, of KCP, you know, so – uh, they were really limited on who else that they can tag on to that deal. Yeah. 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 But man, that's the Rosen. You got the Rosen floating around out there too. Yeah. Yeah. The Rosen floating around who who's a, who's a walking bucket himself. You know, it, he doesn't have to be effective from the three point line. He just, he's effective shooter and scorer and they could use that. Mm-hmm. I think the Rosen may be at the point in his career where he's willing to accept that type of role. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then there was the draft. <laughs> yeah, the, the anticlimactic draft after all that. Right, 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 right. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and everybody's excited because there are some quality players, especially your, your first, what was said to be the first four ended up being the first five picks. Uh, you know, I really thought Suggs was going to be drafted higher than that. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, he's probably the best player in college basketball when he's playing. A lot of times he's the best player on the floor. He ended up going five. Uh, so if I had to pick, you know, the winners from this draft, 
I'm not picking Detroit because they're Detroit. <laughs> so it's like good player, wrong team. Uh, Jalen Green, who did some um, did some work um, in the G League, and obviously has probably the most uh, refinement in his game. There were some John Morant comparisons and stuff like that, but he's very explosive. I I just don't know what Houston's doing. I don't even know if Houston knows what Houston's doing at this point. Uh, yeah. So I'm not really excited about that because of where they're going. Uh, Evan Mobley, I think, was a good pickup for Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland is in another rebuilding phase. Uh, it's like how many rebuilding phases outside of LeBron James do you have to do to get it right? But I think they do have a decent young nucleus with Sexton and, and Garland and now Mobley adding to that, you know, who has some comparison to Chris Bosh, the way he plays the game, uh, runs the floor, can shoot from the perimeter, uh, really good defender. They did really need that position filled in Cleveland. So I, I think that's a good pick. I just don't know how many wins it's going to translate to. So the, the ones that stuck up to me, I actually, Scotty Barnes, the pick, the number four pick by Toronto, surprised me a little bit, but I get it. And because it's Toronto, I pick one of them as the winners because I, I know they're going to do right by the pick. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. it's this, not only having faith in the player, but also having faith in the franchise that drafts the player. So I have more faith in Toronto making that work. And I think they're in the headspace of saying, hey, you know, yes, Sugg may be the all-around better player, but who do we actually need? You look at a guy like Scotty Barnes, who has four inches over Suggs, you know, 6'8". He has about 20 pounds over Suggs. And you look at what Milwaukee was able to put together, a tall, long, athletic team, the more people that you can do to kind of counter that, the better, you know, you are competitively. I mean, he did a lot of good work for Florida State, uh, you know, defensively, very active defensively, which they're going to need there in Toronto. Uh, so a lot of people, I think, projected this as like, oh, he kind of looks like what they already have. You know, don't they already have, uh, you know, uh, Siakam and stuff like that? But they don't have a lot of depth there. So I think he's going to help them out. Um, he can score, he can score baskets. He, he can do all those things. He can play defense. And he doesn't also have, to, he doesn't always have to do it from the perimeter. Actually two thirds of his points in college were for the inside the paint. So I think he's going to bring some good presence there on the interior that they were really missing, especially, you know, when you lose, you know, Abaka and stuff like that. And Gasol kind of lost that. So my second winner would have to be uh, Orlando. They're the ones that got Suggs. They were obviously in a complete rebuild, seeing that they pretty much gave away for their, traded away for their starters in the middle of the season. Last mm-hmm. season. That kind of said that, hey, we're going to start from scratch here again. Uh, I did pick them because they got, which some saw was at least maybe the first or second best player in this draft. And then on the eighth pick, they were able to get uh, uh, Wagner from from Michigan, and I, I was like, I, I like, I like, I liked watching him play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be a great addition to them. He's going to be able to stretch the floor for them. He's going to give them, you know, decent defensive presence. Uh, but also, you know, you talk about a, a you know a guy that's six nine that can play a guard and a forward, so he can be play on the wing. Uh, he can shoot from the perimeter. Uh, he's a he's a solid rebounder. So I mean, I. 
I think that's good for them if they're going to try to build a, a nucleus. I think they picked two really good players to get that going. So I picked Toronto and Orlando as my major winners uh, for the NBA draft. No, I mean, that's, that's good stuff. I mean, I, I really don't really have anything to add, really. I mean, that was pretty, pretty in-depth. Um, I guess I'll go more, like, from a, like, player comparison perspective. I guess who do I think, um, you know, will be a star or be, you know, real, a really good player in the league. Obviously, K. Cunningham, you know, went first, but – Actually, who I think is the best player in this draft is Evan Mobley, actually. Mm. I really do. Um, now, I may be prisoner of NCAA tournament moment, maybe. And, you know, <laughs> you can accuse me of being, you know, again, a prisoner of the moment in that regard. But from what I saw from him in terms of, you know, what the league is turned into, I think he fits that mode pretty well. I think with Kay Cunningham, I like his game. Um, I think what worries me a little bit is this kind of the similar of what worries me a little bit with Jalen Suggs is the athleticism part okay. for the position that they actually play. Yes. Because listen, man, I mean, you know, <laughs> on a nightly basis, you go, we just talked about Russell Westbrook. <laughs> you got Dave Lillard, you got Steph Curry, you got, you know, James Harden and Kyrie. And I mean, these are some serious guards now. And especially in a league today where it's so open, you know, it's not like in the past where you can kind of be a bit more physical and, you know, you can kind of cancel athleticism at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what, you know, that's what worries me a little bit about those two. And just in terms of them being stars, because, you know, if you're a top 10 pick, I mean, that's, that's lottery. Like you're kind of hoping these guys turn out to be perennial all-star type yes. players. Yeah. So, you know, that's what kind of concerns me a little bit. And, and that's why for me, I, I think Evan Mobley is actually the best player or will be the best player in this draft. Um, so Cleveland, you know, I think they, they, if they can keep, that young nucleus together because I've heard, um, you know, Colin Sexton and a lot of trade rumors. I don't, I don't know what's up with that, Clean, because I don't know if you've heard that because I've heard, you know, him possibly going to Miami, him possibly going to the Knicks. I'm like, why is he even on the table? Because I mean, yeah, I don't understand that. Um, but regardless, um. That's kind of really my thoughts on the draft because that, that Russell Westbrook thing really just derailed my whole interest on the draft because <laughs> my mind instantly went there. But but again, overall, I guess from my perspective on the draft, I think I think Evan Mobley is going to end up being the best player just because I think he really fits in well. His skill set, his athleticism fits to you know what the league is going on right now. So that's I guess that's my my two cents on the draft. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland hasn't really had a center that can play like that in quite some time. Because, I mean, even even uh, Ogaskis, who can shoot perimeter shots, but he wasn't near the athlete that this guy is. He mm -hmm. couldn't really run the floor. He could just, you know, he could shoot and rebound and stuff like that. But nope. Kevin Love is a perimeter shooter. 
um, you know, I kind of played that role with LeBron and Kyrie, but you know, this guy is in a different mm-hmm. category. So yeah, I am excited to see if I might have to make a couple Cavaliers games this season. Cause I, they are making some good decisions. I, I don't, I think it would be really dumb for them to get rid of Sexton because I, I don't think they're going to get a perennial difference maker in exchange for him. And so I think it's just like, you're just, you know, you're going backwards if you were to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I said his name. It's Wagner. I forgot. German. Yeah. Wagner. Wagner. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Wagner. Uh, yeah. So that, that's the NBA draft. You know, we'll see what happens. You know, I, a lot of these guys are – because there's been some drafts where you just like, I don't know if any of these guys are going to make any noise. And yeah. <laughs> there's some drafts where it's like, okay, we got some – I think we're going to have some hoopers that are going to translate to the professional game well. And I right. think this is an example. Yeah, then you have a Zion draft and a LeBron draft, and you're like, oh, yeah, these guys are <laughs> – these guys are it. Oh, yeah, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get that like every – it's crazy how it happens like every – what like every 10 years eight to 10 years like you just have like you have a 96 draft then you have a 03 draft mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's kind of it's 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 strange how that kind of turns out but yeah it does seem to average about a decade because that's what i'm saying because because before that 84 draft yes it's like every every eight to ten years or so they're just you know it's just something in that water at that time and then there's like those <laughs> three to four players that are like that end up really being like the quote unquote faces of the league, you know, the next faces of the league, if you will. So it's very interesting how that turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, we'll see what happens with all these picks and I, the movement's not done yet. So of course oh, we're no. more to talk about here soon, oh, uh, no. but we're off to a good start with the draft and the Russell Westbrook trade. So we're going to transition into some NFL talk. So first we wanted to kind of talk about, you know, this is the coach's box, right? So <laughs> we wanted to show some love to the coaches out there in the NFL. And so we put together a list of our top five coaches for the 2021 season. And uh, Coach Natty T, go ahead and kick us off with your list. I have a feeling this is going to really make me rethink my list. <laughs> it probably won't. I mean – when I was thinking about it, I don't know, maybe, maybe just, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you all my list. Cause I just think mine is probably a little more chalk than what you probably think it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, number one, even though I was very disappointed in their game planning for the Super Bowl, I still got Andy Reid number one. Um, I think, you know, his record speaks for itself. Um, obviously they have a very talented roster and that helps. They have, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the game right now. You know, people go back and forth with Mahomes and Rodgers, but you know, nonetheless, he's one of the best quarterbacks. He's top two, top three. Um, so that helps. Uh, but you know, I think his, his philosophy and just his approach to, to the game and, you know, the relationship he has with his players, I think, you know, Maybe besides Bruce Arians, in terms of the connection with the players, he probably has the best connection with the whole roster, I would yeah. say, in the NFL. And I think that goes a long way. Um, and I think the Chiefs are going to be pretty much 
picking up right where they left off, right in the mix, AFC championship game ish, Super Bowl ish, somewhere in there. So um, I got Andy Reid right number one. So number two. <laughs> Y'all gonna be mad at me at number two. Number two, I actually have Bill Belichick. I'm not mad at that. Because I so I know Tom Brady won the divorce, and I agree with that statement. But when I really started to look at the Patriots season last year, and you really take into the total account of everything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Cam Newton getting there pretty much two weeks before preseason. Um, you know, they had the most COVID opt-outs mm-hmm. in the NFL. They, you know, Cam gets COVID. <laughs> and they were rolling. They were rolling. Um, so to be able to manage all that to be seven and nine is actually pretty good when you think about it like I again I know you know we want to do Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady Tom Brady won the Super Bowl but I mean the fact that they went seven and nine that's a pretty darn good coaching job in my opinion because yes. most other franchises I mean in that situation you know it's three and 13 it's two and 14 it's you know what I mean yeah. like they went seven and nine like There'll be a lot of teams happy with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I have I have him at number two. Number three, I have Sean McDermott for the Bills. Oh, okay. Okay. I really like, um, you know, what he's built with with the Bills for the past two years. Um, you know, obviously he's a you know he's a defensive minded coach. Um, you know, because. You know, he was the defensive coordinator, you know, for the Panthers when they went to the Super Bowl. So, you know, his defensive pedigree is, is fantastic. But, you know, obviously the evolution of Josh Allen has helped. That trade for Stephon Diggs helped. Yeah. But I like the culture that they've built, and I do like how they play. They're very disciplined. You can tell that they're coached very well. Um, you know, obviously they just ran into – the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and it was just once they kind of got going, it was just a wrap. <laughs> There's really not much you could have done yeah. from there. But I, again, I really like what he's built. I like the culture that they have there, and I, you know, I expect them to kind of, you know, still make steps um, to go forward in during this season. So I actually have him at number three. Number four, I have John Harbaugh for the Ravens. Again, kind of similar to the guys on this list, just consistency, culture. Um, I would like to see him, and obviously this is not all on him, but, you know, I, I was a little disappointed they didn't get a veteran misfriever, a.k.a. Julio Jones, because I feel like that would really help them to at least take that next step. I'm not saying they need to be – you know, Patrick Mahomes or the Kansas City offense or the Green Bay offense or Tampa Bay's offense or anything like that. But mm-hmm. it would have added an extra dynamic. But but still, I mean, overall, I think he's he's a very solid coach. Again, very well-respected. And I think his teams are very disciplined. 
And that's a tribute to coaching and a tribute to the preparation that, you know, a, a coach does throughout the week. Um, so that's number four. And then, so my number five pick, I went back and forth on this, but I'm going to lean towards, I'm going to lean towards Sean McVay over Sean Payton. Oh, for number five. Okay. All right. All right. So I think not that Sean Payton hasn't done a good job. He's obviously one of the best offensive coaches in the league, but I guess (laughs) you're going to laugh at this. It's this whole Taysom Hill thing. That really bothers me. (laughs) It it really does because I feel like they're going to go in this Taysom Hill direction at quarterback and it should be Jameis. Yeah. And I don't like it at all. I don't like it. I don't think he's that guy. I think he's a very broke. Yeah, (laughs) right. I think he's a very, very extremely broke version of, you know, Lamar Jackson. (laughs) He's like barely above Tebow, in my opinion. Like, I'm just like, dude, you have Jameis Winston there. I understand the turnovers. But you put Jameis Winston in that same sort of system where he can get the ball out of his hands real quick and be able to read defense and putting him in positions and plays where, you know, it puts him in an advantageous position instead of just kind of like the Bruce Aaron's risk it or biscuit type offense. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like that would be a lot better. So I'm going to go with Sean McVay because, again, I think – as much as, you know, some people may not like how he got the job or may thought he was a little premature, I think since he's been at the Rams, he's done a really good job. I, I got to give him – I got to give him props. Changed their culture for the better. And he Absolutely. changed their culture for the better. And, you know, I think as much as they got rid of um, Jared Goff, mm-hmm. You know, we saw what, what, what it was like when Jeff Fisher was there. And then he comes, and then instantly, I mean, instantly, they yes. do a lot better. Now, again, he has pretty good players as, as well. First comes to mind is Aaron Donald, Mr. 99 Club. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have guys like that, you have Jalen Ramsey. You know, that really that whole entire defense is very solid. Um, I do think they'll need to sort of figure out that running back position, but – I hate to say it, but in today's NFL, I think you can find guys or a tandem of guys to sort of get the production that they need. Um, I do like the Matthew Stafford pickup. And I think with him and with his skill set and Sean McVay's, you know, masterminding, if you will, on offense, I, I really think they could be a force to reckon with um, with the league. So going into the 2021 season, that's my top five coaches. Okay. List them off one, one more time for us. All right. So, yeah. So, first was Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. Two was Bill Belichick. Three was um, McDermott, Sean McDermott. Four was John Harbaugh. And then five was Sean McVay. Okay. okay. And then, 
yeah, honorary mention, or I guess I can put six was um was uh Sean Payton. And then honorary mention is Tom Brady. Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. That... Listen, because I like Bruce Aarons, I do. And again, I think he has one of the best connections with his players. Mm-hmm. But Tom Brady coached the hell out of that team last year. Listen, okay. That is fits perfectly to <laughs> my thought processes around my list, too. So I'm glad you said, okay. <laughs> Number one, uh, I still put Bill Belichick for the reasons that you said. No, fair. they were blasted by COVID. I mean, even when you're when your star all pro corner is like shut down corner is like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to, to get out there, you know, and do it when Cam Newton didn't even have an offseason, basically rolling him out there as a rookie within the system. And you're asking him to throw to Nikhil Harry. I mean, like. I, it, Edelman wasn't there because, you know, so like they really didn't have any weapons for him to work with. No. And I look at their losses, and I, you know, their seven to nine record. I look at their losses. If Cam runs a little bit to the inside against Seattle, they win that game. If Cam doesn't fumble the ball against Buffalo, they probably win that game. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking at this good, very well could have been a nine and seven team. Looking at the way that they lost games, considering the roster that they rolled out there every Sunday, and the fact that their defense was even the least bit formidable. To be able to keep games close, I think spoke a lot to the coaching pedigree of Belichick and his staff. Yep. So that's why I put that. So that's why I have Andy Reid at number two. Fair. Uh, Andy Reid, I think, offensively is a genius when it comes to you know when you when you get the right quarterback and the right coach. That's usually when things go well for the team. If you got those two people. Uh, they're in some, you know, and you sprinkle some weapons around them to work with. I think they've done a beautiful job of not only coaching Mahomes, but surrounding him with the talent and being sustainable with it. And I know Andy Reid doesn't deserve all of the credit for that. Of course, the enemy does uh, and the rest of the organization. But Andy Reid is the, you know, the leader of that. So I, I give him credit for that. When you're looking at a franchise that was that's been on the rise ever since he took over the helm and he did, you know, Philadelphia, you know, really hasn't been the same consistently. They did get the one Super Bowl with Doug Peterson, but like other than that, really haven't made any noise. So when you look at them now, they're turmoil yep. uh, with a coach that plays rock, paper, scissors to help evaluate, you know, recruits. But um, so, yep. okay. Number three, I put Mike Tomlin on there, man. I, I put him as number three. I know this is controversial. I know. And I I wanted to put him on there, but I was just like, man, I don't know. I was hurt <laughs> that you did. I was really hurt that you did. I know. <laughs> I, I wanted to. He, well, so he's in my top ten. I just couldn't put him top five. Okay. Okay. That's fair. You know, you know, CBS released, uh, you know, released their list of, of, of their top coaches and you know, Tomlin was their number 10. I think he was number 10, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's 10. yeah he was their number 10. Yeah, I just look at it. This dude's won 65% of their, uh, his games. He has an 8-8 eight and eight playoff record, so 5 and playoff record, and 1-1 in Super Bowls. But I look at it like, okay, this is this 
kind of what I did. Look at the season they had, and they got upset in the playoffs. Okay, they did. They got upset in the playoffs. They got outplayed. Mm-hmm. Some of that is on coaching. Mm-hmm. But do they didn't have any offensive line. No. The running backs couldn't run anywhere. Roethlisberger isn't mobile enough to run. And so I looked at who is leading, who is the quarterback for these other top coaches. And I want you to name one that you would take Roethlisberger over their quarterback. So, okay. Well, the jury's out on Cam Newton to see how he fits into this. Yeah, 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 yeah. The jury's out now. That might be the one. But Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Nope. R. Jackson. Nope. Uh, you know, what was Drew Brees? So we're talking about, you know, coming into the season, it was Drew nope. Brees. Nope. Right? <laughs> Josh Allen. Nope. Uh, you had, I mean, would you, you could take him over Jared Goff, maybe. I don't know. What, that's a question mark. Scratch. That's a threat, right? They kind of came through. <laughs> Russell Wilson. Nope. Tom Brady. Heck no. Aaron Rodgers. Heck no. All right, that's your top, that's your, that's the, the other nine. Yep. Quarterbacks, you know, that, that's, that's, those were the other nine coaches that made it in front of Mike Tomlin. Yeah, you have maybe two question marks, two questionable ones yeah. on that list. And they are still able to have an awesome record. I think right now their issue is that organization has to let go of Roethlisberger and find their next quarterback. Mm-hmm. And instead of do that, they're going to continue to be held hostage to Roethlisberger's up and down play or arm weakening as the season progresses. Uh, but the fact that even when he was hurt, this dude still had a 500 record with Duck Hodges as the quarterback. Yeah. Like, come on, there's not too many coaches. That could. Yes. There's not too many coaches that could do that. So I, I put him at three because of that. I think he's had to go through some things so that some other other coaches do. And he's, he's dealing with a quarterback that has not gracefully aged the way Tom Brady has the way Drew Brees has, the way Aaron Rodgers has, you know, so that, that, I take that into consideration. I have Bruce Arians four because of that comment that yes, the coach ultimately has to keep the team together, but Brady is the coach on the field that makes Arians job so much easier. And he's, he's also picking players like, all right, because the understanding was that if Brady comes into your franchise, that he is going to be also be a decision maker mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. right? Let uh, Arians and, and Todd Bowles, they'll handle defense. But as for offense, Tom Brady's like, I want my dude Grunk to come back. Phone call to Grunk, Grunk comes back. Uh, A.B., all right, as soon as he's able to play, Go get A.B. They get A.B., boom. And, the, you know, the Super Bowl, both of them score in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I look at that as not even all the additions that Brady brought or suggested score because Fournette scored too. Fournette scored too, yes. Now, I forgot <laughs> that was his – that was partially his idea too. So, like, yep. that – Brady helped build that nucleus so I can't give all the credit to the coaching staff and the organization because Brady picked those guys. So I, I had to bump them down on my list to four, but still out of respect for you still have to manage it. You still have to keep the team chemistry intact. 
uh, you know, you still have to hold guys accountable. Uh, and, and like you said, he is very beloved by the players, but in a way that he is also respected is like, I'm not going to cross this dude, but I know I can come to him with whatever. Mm -hmm. that I have on my mind. And I think that's, that speaks value. So Bruce is there. And number five, I, I put John Harbaugh too. I, I think uh, he is a model of consistency. And the one thing that I want to see him do, and I think he would be higher on my list. We'll see after the season, there needs to be a change in the offensive scheme, partially for the Ravens this season. Because if you want to foster your quarterback's growth to Andy Reid's credit, you see a new thing from Mahomes, even within the same season, right? So you could tell they're constantly building and challenging and challenging and challenging them because they know he could reach that mark. Nope. They need to be challenging Lamar the same way because I believe Lamar could reach some of those things. Mm -hmm. But I think you've created a too comfortable of offense. And if you're not going to surround him with weapons, like what you said, then it's like, how are you going to help his growth if he's limited to who he can throw the ball to and you're not challenging him to throw the ball downfield either? So then when it comes crunch time in the playoffs, you come very predictable and the better teams in the league are going to be able to take you out because of that. So, yeah. but I, I, all of that said, I still think he's done a phenomenal job with that team, especially in the transition of losing their Hall of Fame defenders. You know, you think of all those guys that either retired or got old and moved on and stuff like that, and they've still been able to hold a formidable defense. I think you know, that he deserves some credit for that, too. So, you know. Yeah. But, man, I, I totally respect Sean McVay, um, and McDermott has done an awesome job. I love watching Buffalo play. Like, they are absolutely a joy to watch, and – a team that hasn't been really competitive in that division in quite some time mm -hmm. is, is making them. So I, I, I want to see what that looks like this year. Uh, you know, bad versus trend. I want to see what, what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. All right. So next we're going to go to our divisional pick. So we're going to pick the team in each division that we think is going, going to win. Okay, I'm going to start with the toughest one because of the recent news. I originally was thinking, you know, I, the Colts might mess around and win this division. And Carson Wentz is out indefinitely. And so this concerns me greatly because if he <laughs> is unable to play and play consistently, then all bets are off. But yeah. if he's going to be okay – then I'll pick the Colts. If not, it's definitely going to be the Titans. Uh, you know, I think it's a, pretty much a two-team race there. Uh, Jacksonville rebuilding with rookie coach, rookie quarterback, rookie running back, everything like that. Mm -hmm. And the Texans are a bonfire that is still burning to this day. So <laughs> that uh, I have Casey um, winning. I, I think the LA Chargers are a team on the come up, but I think they're a couple years away from really taking over that division. They're going to need some more pieces uh, on defense and a little bit more time for Herbert on offense uh, to get to that point. So I got Casey. This one was tough. AFC North. I picked the Browns. I know I'll probably regret this later, but 
Uh, and I'm saying this as someone who likes the Steelers. So I'm, I, this hurts me to say that. But I think the Browns, to our last, to last week's show, have done one of the best jobs in free agency, um, along with the Patriots, which is also why I have Belichick up there. I think for all those moves that they made in the offseason, are going, they're going to look like a totally different team, the Patriots are. Uh, but the Browns, you can say, ended the season in a, in a phenomenal way, and their roster got better. Uh, the Patriots, I have edging out the Bills, actually, in that division. So I think this is going to be the return of the Patriots, and I'm not a Patriots fan, so this is truly, objectively, my guess. Uh, NFC least, I have Washington, the Washington football team, and I say this as someone who has a bunch of Cowboy memorabilia in their background. <laughs> it, it hurts to say that, but um, the Giants, I don't trust them on either side of the ball. Uh, Saquon Barkley is not able to stay, stay healthy consistently, so I can't depend on that. The Cowboys always find a way to lose and always find a way that something happens that prevents them from reaching their potential. Yep. I just I don't know what it's going to be this year, but it's going to be something. So I'm just banking on that. Uh, so that leaves me, you know, pretty much looking at at Washington, at, you know, the Eagles. Like, at, okay, nothing else needs to be said about the Eagles. We we know why. No. So yeah, so Washington with that defense, um, quarterback position, I think shifting in the right direction. I mean, Ron Rivera is an excellent coach, too. I would probably consider having him in my top 10, perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Rams, I think Stafford is going to play very well. It'll be nice to see Staff, uh, Matt Stafford in uh, New Jersey because the Lions are a place where careers go to die. And so seeing him in a, in a position where he can thrive, I think he'll be fine. Aaron Rodgers is back, so the Pack are back, and I have them winning the division. Uh, the Lions are the Lions, so that's that. Um, the Bears, I think Fields is going to end up starting at some point throughout the season. Uh, Andy Dalton is not a starting quarterback in the NFL anymore. Uh, I think he's just holding, holding you know, the, the mantle up, waiting for Fields to take it. Uh, I don't see them going very far because it's just a rookie quarterback in the system there. And... And the Vikings are very inconsistent. For some reason, they just can't pull it together. I, I don't know what it is, but they have some really good pieces, though. But the Packers win it. And then, of course, I have the Bucks in the NFC South. Uh, Atlanta, you know, lost Julio Jones. Matt Ryan, Matty Ice seems to be playing on ice at times. And I, I just think that the... Um, the Saints are just going through such a big transition at the quarterback position. I don't see them able to compete at a high level to win a division. So I have Bucks. Yeah. So the, any differences on your list? What do you got, Coach? 19? Um, I think I may have a slight differences. So, uh, yes, I'll start in the AFC. So AFC East. I actually have Buffalo winning it again. I'm not mad at that. Uh. <laughs> And I, man, I, I love Cam Newton, but man, I just, I think the, I just think the quarterback play is what's going to push Buffalo over the hump. Cause I, I see Josh Allen still, he may not take, you know, a 
quote unquote leap because last year, you know, statistically he did very well, but I don't see him dropping off. And, you know, I feel like they, they have like a, an established momentum going with him. So that's why I'm giving them the slight edge over new England simply off quarterback play. I'm not even going to mention that other team in New York. Um, and then with Miami, kind of similar issue with, at the quarterback position. I don't know if they fully believe in Tua. So as much as they were 10 and 6 last year, um, I, I just don't know how that's going to look, how that's going to work. Um, AFC North. So I live, live near, near D.C., so I want to pick the Ravens. Right. But my head is telling me the Browns. It really is. <laughs> One of the cities that you hate the most. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, but like like, like I said, man, you, you know me. I, I try to keep it objective as much as I can. Um, and ironically, <laughs> I'm kind of flip-flopping here because my AFC East, East pick was off quarterback play. And I'm picking the team, which I think has not the biggest question at quarterback, but that's their biggest question, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. for the Cleveland. You know, we talked about it last week with Baker Mayfield and, you know, with, uh, with uh, oh, you know, Odell Beckham coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, how does that look? How are they going to figure that out? The fact that they haven't paid him, I don't care what nobody says. You don't tell somebody you're gonna pay him later if you a hundred percent believe in him. I, I don't care. Yes, right. So they're just like, oh, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's see what he does this year. So even with all of that, I just, man, that 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 roster, man, that roster, is something else. It really is. What do you? <laughs> so for me, that's. That's why I'm picking the Browns. You know, we've already talked about Pittsburgh. Um, and then the Bengals are just not there yet, although I do like Joe Burrow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Baltimore, it, again, I'm just disappointed they didn't get a Julio Jones or even like a Corey Davis from Tennessee. I mean, I, I, I feel like they need a big body receiver. It just – Lamar throwing to these little quick guys – I mean, you may need somebody like that as a compliment to a big receiver and the tight ends, but I just don't like, I just don't like that dynamic. And I think it puts too much pressure on him. What I mean, him, I mean, Lamar Jackson to kind of do everything. Um, so I still think they'll be good. I still have Baltimore like in the playoffs, but I got the Browns winning the division. AFC South, I have Tennessee. Um you know, with the Colts, obviously Carson Wentz. Man. Yeah, so that puts a monkey wrench into that. You know, Houston, who knows? They may even, you know, it looks like they're probably going to trade Deshaun. And then Jacksonville, I mean, they're rebuilding, so we'll see how they look. I mean, they'll look better, but we'll see how they look. Um, AFC West, Chiefs, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, there's nothing else to talk about there. <laughs> NFC least. Um, I'm gonna regret this. Don't you do it. Don't no, I'm actually do the Cowboys. Ah, uh, 
Oh. I am because when I look at – and really because when I look at their schedule, so they yeah. play Tampa the first game and then they play uh, the Chargers the second game. And I'm not saying it's easy, but if you look at the next eight games, even as bad as the Cowboys are – or not – well, not even as bad as they are, as inconsistent and as – lack of living up to expectations as they are. <laughs> oh. The one thing they do, even through this whole Dak experience since he's been in the league, they play against inferior teams well. And those next, yeah. after those first two games, like I could see them going 0-2, but then I can, I can really see them going – Eight and zero or seven and one. Those next eight games. Next eight games. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to really put them in a good position, division wise. Because I don't see them, you know, at minimum, you know, they're going to split with everybody at minimum. I don't see anybody beating them twice, you know. So, you know, call that. That's that's at least twelve wins right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, twelve. You know, eleven, twelve wins. I mean, that that should get you right there at that division divisional championship. So that's where that's why I have Dallas. But again, I'll probably regret that because they're just so ridiculously inconsistent. Um, Washington. You know, I live here. I love what they've built. Quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick is. You know, Fitz Magic is. Kind of hit and miss sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I would have loved, man, because I would have loved to have seen, like, you know, they could have pulled off a Deshaun Watson or, sure. you know, something like that. Like, they could have pulled that off. That would have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll see. Um, and then, you know, the Eagles, I like Jalen Hurts a lot, but they're just not there yet. And then the Giants, We'll see that that's the dark horse, I think, is the Giants. Because mm-hmm. they play well when people least expect them to. For yeah, some they quietly have a decent roster. Mm-hmm. You know, playing good right receiver. Saquon's coming back. Saquon, so. You know, Defense we'll see what Matt Jones, if he's really good or not. I mean, he yeah. shows some flashes. So I think that's the dark horse team in the NFC East. Um, NFC North, Aaron Rodgers is back. I got Green Bay. Enough said. Um, NFC South, Tom Brady. Enough said. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not even mentioning the other teams. No, there's, there's nothing else to talk about. Um, NFC West. So this one, this is the best division in football. By far, yes. Thank you. For and saying. I really struggle with this one because all four of these teams are really good, man. Yeah. Really, really good. And, you know, I think because obviously the biggest problem with San Francisco was their health last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Oh. I still really haven't made a decision on this one. That's why I left them for last because I thought maybe it would kind of pop in my head. <laughs> But I guess because I have, I picked him as a top five coach. 
I'm going to go with the Rams, mm-hmm. but I don't – I really don't know because I think San Francisco – really the question mark is Jimmy G. Is he going to be healthy or not? But I don't know receiver-wise. I don't know if it's dynamic enough. I don't think so. Um, you know, George Kittle is fantastic, but that's – I'm just – yeah, I don't know. Seattle – I think this may sound blasphemous. I think Russell Wilson will play well, but as the season tends to go on, he tends to kind of cool down a bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a Petro issue. Maybe it's both. Probably it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they just seem to cool off. They have this trend of starting off really good and then cooling off at the end of the season. So mm-hmm. I don't like that. And then, I'd say the team I kind of like is this Arizona Cardinals. I'm telling you, because I, I like I like me some some Kyler Murray, man. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Um, now they have a lot of you know older stars, so that would be kind of interesting health wise to see, you know, especially adding on another game to the season, how that works out. But you know, D Hop to me is the best receiver in the league. Mm. Um, you got AJ Green. Now he's coming off injury, but you know, you have to respect him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you got you, you brought in a J.J. Watt. I mean. To a defense that was already pretty to good. a defense that was already pretty good. And I think he will play well. Um, I don't, you know, I don't see defensive player of the year type season. I mean, maybe he could do something like that. But um, I think his, you know, his veteran leadership will, will bring a, a good element to their team. So th- to me, that's kind of like my – my 1B choice. Yeah. I'm with you. Because yeah. I, I really do like Kyler Murray, but um, but I'm gonna go with the Rams. And I think again, I'm just I guess just trying to remain consistent with the fact that I did pick um Sean McVay as a top five coach. So I think I really like the Matt Stafford move. I think, you know, as much as he hasn't won a playoff game in Detroit, I think that's more Detroit's problem than his problem. No one wins anything in Detroit football. Yeah, I mean, listen, man, they made two Hall of Fame players retire early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all you need to know. That's, that's all you need to know. I mean, that that's just that's just not good. So, um, I, I really do like that combination, and that could be a very lethal combination with him and, and Sean McVay. So that's why I got slightly. I'm picking them. Um, as an NFC West champion. So, well, I guess it, we'll see how that turns out. McVay couldn't open the whole playbook because golf couldn't get the ball there. So, well, like, yeah, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure you, you saw those reports, but I mean, they were basically like telling him where to throw the ball before. <laughs> because he couldn't really process that information to read the defense and really throw it where it needs to go. That's stuff you should be telling me if I'm lining up. Right. Not yeah. someone. But you saw what happened in that Super Bowl. I mean, Bill Belichick kind of figured out that's what they were doing, and that's why they only put up three points. Yeah. An explosive offense puts up three points. So you, they couldn't do anything for the entire game. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and they, and they have the most consistent defense in that division by far. Oh, yeah. I mean, they I mean, they had they had the number one ranked defense last year. Yeah. So that's – man. Yeah, I, I am so excited about football season. And 
Uh, some of these these picks I'm probably going to regret uh, looking at. I'm going to regret the Dallas pick. You are. You I'm are. putting that on the record right now. Because <laughs> those um, dudes, man. I'm just again. I'm just giving the benefit of the doubt because of, for for their schedule. Yes. That's yeah. No, that way. makes that makes total sense though. That yeah. makes total sense. That's and that's that's what made my decision for me because I was like, well, but after those first two games, you know, barring a suspension from Zeke doing something stupid or somebody else getting injured, I mean, they're they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna rack up a lot of wins those next eight weeks. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, we'll see uh, what's going on. We're going to transition to some Olympic talk. So a lot of stuff going around. We're just going to focus on a couple of things here. Uh, first, we're just going to talk a little bit about USA basketball. We talked about that, you know, can USA, you know, right the ship here? They're going to stumble a little bit. And I remember that when we were looking at this before, a couple episodes ago, we were like, you know, there's probably going to be an opportunity for them to trip up uh, within those, you know, <laughs> within the play. You know, I think we all agreed that Iran was not where they need to be in, for basketball to compete with the caliber of the United States team. So mm-hmm. that was no surprise that they were able to blow Iran out. France, I thought, I knew it was going to be tough. I thought we would edge out a close one. And so that's why I was like, oh, we'll probably get at least the first two. Mm-hmm. But we did. We suffered a tough loss to France. I mean, and France has a lot of NBA talent on it. You know, it's got Rudy Gobert. It's got Nicholas Batum. It's, it's got Evan Fournier, who balled out of control like Evan Fournier did. Like, he, got, he dropped, what, 28 and outscored. Was it Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant? Like, you know, like a couple, a handful of our best players, Jason mm-hmm. Taylor. Um, you know, you got uh, Yabo, Yabo Sele, Yabo Sele, I think is what, how you say his mm-hmm. name, played for the Celtics. Yep. Uh, you know, you got uh, Frank, I always say his name wrong, Bikina from New York, um, currently plays for New York Knicks. Uh, Nando DeColo played for the Spurs for, for a minute. You know, you got Cabarro from the Brooklyn Nets playing. Yep. You got Poirier, uh from the Celtics, most recently the Philadelphia 76ers this past year so like they have NBA talent on their throughout their squad so that was like okay these guys will keep it close but I was thinking like okay these guys are NBA players is far different from the caliber of our USA players you know just looking at the names on our list and I thought okay well they're kind of used to playing against these guys anyway mm-hmm. so they'll play hard but it'll be close but they they made us look really bad. Like when you go on an 11-0 run and finish the game off on a 16-2 run against Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, and all those guys, it's just like, what the heck is happening? I mean, like, we shot horrible. Like 36%, 36.2% from the field and 31.3% from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. And I I just look at it as we we don't have a lot of players that can help other players get off in their game because most of our players are ISO players are the scorers. And so we don't have someone that can keep the ball going uh, or they have, they at least haven't figured out how to do that. And I think that's what made the dream team so special is because they were all 
primary secondary scores for their respective teams pretty much. But they found a way that, that they could still work together to share the rock to get the best shot on the floor. And that is what USA is having trouble doing is getting the best shot on the floor, which is interesting because Pop is their coach and Pop is usually known for when he's coaching the Spurs that, hey, we don't need to jack up a bunch of threes. We get the best shot on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's not translating to this team. And I think maybe he's kind of just saying, hey, do your own thing here. And I'm just going to provide some type of structure. But what they're doing is not going to be sustainable. And I think it's fool's gold to see the result from the Iran team. It's just um, we haven't even played Australia yet coming up. You know, we have Australia coming up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, as far as the games that count, you know, so I'm looking like we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. So I'm a little nervous about us being able to get gold. I know we'll medal, uh, but I it might we, we might have to settle for that silver. So <laughs> what do you what are your thoughts on, on the USA Olympic team? I'm yeah, into- I mean, um, I mean, yeah, all your points are valid. Um, I think uh maybe it's wishful thinking. I, I still expect them to actually get the gold just because I mean, listen, man. It, it's Kevin freaking Durant. Like, I just have to believe, because he really, even in the Iran game, he didn't play well. Um, and I, I just have to imagine he's going to, like, be Kevin Durant at some point in this tournament. Um, so I still think they'll win gold. It, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, the games are going to be very close, especially, as you said, Playing the Australias, playing the, um, you know, the Frances of the world, the Spains of the world. Um, I, I really, when I look at what the issues are specifically in that uh, game against France, because I actually, I actually watched the game. <laughs> it's funny that, uh, you know, some of the players were blaming pop or not necessarily blaming pop but blaming the philosophy and all that they're like well you know this is a spurs offense and you know we should be playing a different way and i'm like well when i watched the game it was close but they were leading majority of the game and leading in the fourth quarter all the way to the last six minutes of the fourth quarter and then it was like y'all just didn't know how to play basketball i mean Dame was turning over the ball. KD, I know he was kind of out of rhythm because he was in foul trouble, but missing wide open three-point shots. KD, or KD, uh, Dame, wide open shots, missing. Missing. So, you know, I think the system was working and fine enough for y'all to get open looks. Mm-hmm. If I must say so myself. So, you know, I, I think... If I had to put a blame pie, I would have to lean slightly more to the players on this one because, again, like, I know this whole system thing and whatever, but, like, you guys are still getting open shots. You guys were leading up to that point. So it's not like they were struggling and they had to try to come back in the game. Like, no, like, they pretty much had control of the whole game. And all you guys had to do was just really close out the game. Yeah. Um. 
So that kind of leans toward me going towards just the continuity of the team. I think we put ourselves in a tough spot because the, all the other teams play together for a while, um, you know, whether it's the World Cup, whether it's the Olympics. And, you know, people have mentioned this before, whereas, you know, the United States team is pretty much a new team each tournament. Yeah. Um, and we're at this point now in global basketball where I don't think the rest of the world has caught up. And I hope this makes sense. Um, but again, I don't think the rest of the world has caught up. I think they've slightly closed the gap, if that yes. makes sense. Yes. Because yes. to me, when you say they've caught up, that tells me that they have as equal talent as the best American players. And I don't, I don't believe that. But have they closed the gap? Yes. Yeah. So where you know, the U.S. players have to really like come with it to win. They're not just yeah. going to roll out there and just... And, and especially against you know, the top or the other top basketball nations, you know, the France's, the Spain's, the, you know, those type of countries that have, you know, pretty much, you know, 75% of their roster is NBA players. Um, So, you know, you're not just going to show up and just, all right, we're just, we're the NBA players and we're just going to come here and dominate. Like that's not, it's not going to work. And I think we've heard, some of this being mentioned as well. I think the the NBA game has been somewhat to their detriment as well. Was complaining to the refs. <laughs> this whole pick and roll basketball, and then but nobody else knows how to play any other style. <laughs> like that's been a bit disappointing, and and really just the makeup of the roster. Now you know people are blaming. Team USA for that, but really, I mean, you can only pick based off the players that are willing to come to play. Um, now, do I think they should have had a better nucleus? Yes. And I think they, the nucleus of players that they pick doesn't fit with what they've done in the past two or three Olympics. Now, I say that because 08, 2012, 2016. What did Coach K do? They really, if you really remember, they really didn't have too much of a half-court offense. They really got after you on defense, whether it was Kobe, Braun, D-Wade, um, you know, Jimmy Butler, those type of guys. They, because they really got after you on yeah. the defensive end. Like, they was picking dudes up full court, three-fourths court, and they just couldn't handle the ball, turn over, dunk it down your throat, shooting threes. You know, Melo had that game where he set the record for most threes. So this nucleus of players doesn't really have that sort of mentality defensively because they're not going to get after you like that. No, no. That's not their game in the NBA. That's it's not, not their game. It's yeah. not their game in the NBA. It's not their game anywhere. So – to me, that's the main difference in what I'm seeing because those teams in the past, as much as stars as they were, listen, man, 
but especially that that 08, 012 squad with, with Kobe. Man, because they they because you had Kobe and D Wade in the backcourt. We had Braun, you had Chris Bosch, and even Tyson Chandler, even though you know he pretty much just yells, but still. <laughs> I mean the, he was blocking the, shots and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but those dudes were getting after you on defense. Mm-hmm. Like Dudes couldn't like Ricky Rubio could barely get the ball above half court. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like it just seemed like even when a team looked like they had a glimpse of life, yeah. they would just look at each other and like shut it down. And like they would just flip the switch. Right. And right. like the, the team couldn't do anything. And yeah. Just, yeah. And I do think what's interesting too. So even if you go back to the FIBA tournament, so that was 20, what was that, 2015? Yeah, I think it was 2015 or 2017. I don't know, 2017. That's the year that Kyrie won the MVP for FIBA. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about that squad, maybe not as defensively hard-nosed as the Olympic teams, but if you look at the players that they had, they had James Harden, they had Kyrie, they had Steph, they had Clay. Mm-hmm. Those guys understand how to move without the basketball. Yes. And if you, I remember that tournament because they were like, man, they were shooting some ridiculous threes. I mean, the guys were just moving around and coming off picks, and it was just a lot to deal with. <laughs> well, wear another team out. Right? It was weird. Yeah, man. They were just, oh, my gosh. So – this nucleus of players, it's it's a weird mix. And I think they can turn on that proverbial switch, if you will, because you have Dane, you have KD, but they're going to have to do it a little differently. And they're still figuring that out. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I do think they will they will figure it out. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but... I do think they'll, they'll figure it out. I hope so. Because now they're going to get embarrassed again. Cause I'll tell you what. they When they when they played against Iran, I was like, man, y'all better beat Iran because they're not going to let y'all back in the country if y'all lose it up. Yeah. Like, yeah. seriously. Yeah, like, Joe Biden going to revoke y'all's passports. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. But that that would that would have been horrible. Yeah. So Very bad look for us. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I believe they'll figure it out because, again, watching the game against France, even though they lost, it was clunky, but they were leading. And it was just the, the last six minutes was just a disaster. Yeah, man. I mean, they got the Czech Republic coming up. And so that, that should be, be yeah. tough for it us. will be decently tough, but they should win that. Yeah. I mean, the Czech Republic, they're no slouches. I mean, they... They beat Iran too, but not by as many, and they they lost to France in, the, in a close one. So like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, they, they might keep it competitive at least for part of the game. So we'll see. Yep. We'll yep. see what happens. Yeah, um, we'll see. The big thing in the Olympics, of course, is this conversation uh, about mental health, and so we talked about uh, Naomi Osaka times, and now Simone Biles, uh, you know, and you know. USA was still able to get the, the golden all-around gymnastics, so that was pretty cool to watch. Uh, but I think it leaves us in a space where 
what's next for athletes and mental health? Uh, and so Coach Natty T, this was uh, one of the things that we wanted to make sure we talked about uh, tonight. And so what, what kind of your, your perspective on, on athletes and, and mental health, especially looking at these two recent uh, situations? Yeah, so, you know, speaking to Naomi and um, Simone Biles specifically, you know, obviously, you know, they deserve all the support that they can. And, you know, for those who, especially with Simone, for those who say that she quit or that she's weak or whatever, like, that's just not the case. Because really, she doesn't really have anything left to prove. I mean, she, she has all the records. There's really nothing else for her to prove. So, you know, people are saying, oh, well, you know, she shouldn't have took a spot from somebody else or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, she earned her spot at the trials. Right. So, I mean, regardless, like she earned her spot at the trials. That's why they have alternates. So, obviously, an injury or obviously in this situation, the people who were kind of on that on the cusp of making the team are already there anyway as an alternate. So they technically are getting their chance. So that's just a wrong statement. Right. (laughs) That's just not factually correct. Um, Overall. And I guess I'm, I'm going more macro here because overall the, the conversation is good as far as, the support that, you know, athletes are getting and just, you know, general people are giving. My only pushback is from an athlete perspective, and I'll kind of go more personal here, because again, I, you know, I played soccer, played not now nowhere near the level of athlete or as good as Simone Biles or even Naomi Osaka are in their respective sports. But again, I, I played college, I played semi-pro, and, you know, I'm someone that, used to get like little panic attacks myself like night before a big game I couldn't sleep like shaking migraines hands would shake I actually didn't realize what was going on at the time but I actually had a panic attack in a game like couldn't breathe had to come out yeah so I I do have some experience with it um and my only pushback from an athlete's perspective is we have to use the resources that are available to us now. I say that because this whole conversation that we're having, is like, there's this kind of like assumption that there's no, like absolutely zero, you know, like, how do I want to put it? Like medical support from a mental health perspective. And right. that's just not true. That's not true. I'll share another personal story. So the team, the semi-pro team I played on, mm-hmm. the soccer team I played on, we had like a sports psychologist guy. And I remember talking to him and he said, he's like, yeah, I actually, you know, work with the Orlando Magic, Tampa Bay Rays, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I thought it was kind of odd. I'm like, so how are you, how are you? What dog are dealing with three different teams? And he's like, Well, you know, nobody really comes to see me. Like, <laughs> mm. 
He explained like at the beginning of the season, you know, everybody has their orientation and all those sorts of things, if you want to call it that. But, you know, he comes in and gives his whole speech and says, hey, you know, these are my office hours. This is my email. This is my cell. You guys have anything you need, you know, my door is open. But his door was always open and his his office was always empty. (laughs) Yeah. So... I say that because when we're talking about, you know, mental health and specifically with, you know, the, the main culprits, especially with athletes is really anxiety. You, <laughs> if you think that you just taking a break for a little bit is going to fix that, you're sure. very sadly mistaken because when you're dealing with like anxiety in a sports session, in a sports um, setting and pressure and, you know, just feeling that sort of nervousness. And again, there's overall anxiety that takes therapy that takes prolonged therapy. Like that's not a, okay. Like, let me take a PTO day here. Like, no, that's not how it works. Cause you have to work on these things. So as athletes, I think it's good that everybody's showing us support and everybody's kind of bringing up like, yeah, like, you know, you're hearing a lot of people on Twitter and, and uh, you know, Instagram and whatever, or even on interviews saying like, yeah, you know, it's good. You know, we really need to have this additional support and whatnot, but Yes, but we have to be willing to do the work as well because it's, it's not just as much as, you know, athletes work on their physical health, meaning, you know, training and getting in shape and all those sorts of things. Physically, it takes almost the same amount of effort mentally as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hope that as far as the conversation that's being had, it's kind of both sides of the accountability is being you know put to play here because Mm -hmm. again we can say i need support but if you're not willing to really put in that additional work you're still going to get those panic attacks and i'll tell you that right now yeah (laughs) you're still going to get that anxiety before speaking to the media i'm gonna tell you that right now so you just taking a break is not going to fix it. It's not. Right. Now, as far as the conversation with where to go from here, now, this is my other pushback issue. Now, you know, everybody's showing support, and I'm talking more specifically, you know, media and former players on media and, and that sort of thing. Um, I haven't really heard a lot of solutions. I hear a lot of yeah, good for you, Simone. Good for you, Naomi. Yeah, you know what I mean? We deal with a lot. You know, we're not just athletes, we're humans. Yes, totally agree with that statement. But what are the solutions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really heard that. The only one or maybe two people that I've really heard, and I'll give them credit for this, and one is Brandon Marshall. Because mm. he's he's a big mental health advocate. Yeah. He's a big, he's he's huge. Um, and the other one was actually on, um, on Speak for Yourself for LeVar Arrington. Mm, okay. He mentioned, like, 
you know, any sort of professional sports or even Olympic, you know, sports facility had, you know, they spend millions of dollars on these facilities, right? And, you know, weights and recovery and, you know, hyperbaric chambers and all this other stuff, but there's really not a lot of money spent on like the mental part. Like, is there like, you know, certain training rooms to kind of help you go through like the mental portions of the game and just, you know, those sorts of things, like where's the investment there rather than just having, okay, we, this is our sports psychologist, you know, they're on the payroll or they're contracted out. You know, this is someone you can speak to. They'll put you on some sort of plan and we'll go from there. Like maybe there should be more investment or more equal investment on the physical training as well as the mental training. I like yeah. that. I like that too. I like that. Yeah. But that's it, the only that's the only thing I've heard. Everybody else is like, yeah, man. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Y'all do what y'all want, man. I'm like, okay, but where, where's the solution? <laughs> so I hope the conversation starts to turn itself towards that more so than just trying to basically be louder than the people who are being negative. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I like that. That's a good take. You know, when I think about these things, I try to think of the different layers that are present that affect the athlete. And then when we're talking about specific athletes, what nuances can be added to those layers? Uh, and so for someone in... Uh, Simone Biles case I'm thinking of you know you go through all of this you're representing your entire country the entire world is watching you so you know the microscope is a little bit larger on you than some other people some other athletes and then I'm you, you set a precedent and that you you know and as great as you want to be you're always trying to say I can't go beneath that precedent that I set myself because then what narrative is going is that going to create if I have an off day? It's not like it's bad enough when you have an off day on national television, but at least for the, some of these other folks, you have other games in the season to make that up, right? So it's like, ah, you know, game two, I messed up, but there's still game three, you know, et cetera. But that, I mean, this is it. You mess up, it, this is it. Every four this years. Four years of your work that you mess up once, it shifts everything. Right, so there's an, an extra added amount of pressure there. And then on top of that, uh, looking at how she's being scored and how some of the things are structured around it, she's able to do things that not everyone's able to do. Pretty much no one else is able to do at this point in time. Yeah, her difficulty score is like always like two points higher than everybody else. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. So there was a lot of conversation around of like, she shouldn't be allowed to do that move because no one else can do that move. And so when you think about the things that you've trained to do, all of a sudden people are like, you should, you should, or if you do it, we're not going to score you like extra high or anything on that too, because no one's able to do that. This is not the first time that that it ha- you know, this has happened, even on the Olympic stage. Um, her name escapes me right now. There was a black figure skater years ago mm-hmm. um, that, they ruled the move illegal because no one else was able to do it. 
<laughs> right now, if you do that today, then everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, and so, you know, I was able to watch some of the other sports, you know, and, and some of them were new sports to the Olympics, such as, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, skateboarding mm -hmm. uh, and stuff like that. So I watched them. I thought those were cool. I'm glad that they are added. So you see what other people in the world are there. And I was watching it and, and, and the commentator said, oh, um, you know, this skater, I think they were from China. I think so. Don't quote me on that. I think so. You know, I wonder if he's going to do his famous blah, blah, blah move. He's the only one that's able to do it. <laughs> right. And I'm like, so what's the difference between this dude and Simone Biles? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so like, that's the type of precedent. And I get that they're different sports, but shouldn't they be praised for their ability to do stuff that not everyone's able to do and, 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 and even scored properly based mm -hmm. on that. So I think that that's an added pressure that not a lot of the other athletes have to experience. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, do I have to adjust my routine now because they're not going to really give me the, you know, the, the fruits of my labor on this move that I've been working on. So like that, that's that I do agree with the, and, and I think communities are really good at bringing up issues, but not always good at bringing up solutions to your point. Um, and I think with any movement, a lot of the social movements that we see, you know, I, my perception is the same. And it's like, I, I agree. Like that's, that's trash that that happens. That shouldn't happen to you. Um, so, or yeah, that is important for us to focus on as well. What is, what could that look like? You know, communicate this because especially in the space of mental health, that what may work for one person may not work for the other person. So from a practitioner standpoint, it's hard to create a one size fits all approach because that's not how mental health works. And, and, and so I would like to see leagues across the board um, step up their, their focus group game, their survey game to get a collection of data, qualitative and quantitative data on behalf of athletes across respective sports that opt into this to be able to say, hey, here's, you know, on a Likert scale, how I felt in these type of situations. Mm -hmm. uh, here are some things that I think would benefit me. Then you're going to start to see some common themes. Mm -hmm. So you're, it's not going to be a one size fits all, but you're going to be able to offer multiple things that can address at least most of what you see happening. Mm -hmm. And then what you're saying, what, you know, what uh, LeVar Anton brought up is like, hey, you know, then we could start to be intentional about the way that we address this. And so if you can be slightly proactive and say, you know what, all right, we got these three common themes. Well, I could put something together on this and let's not wait till someone has a breakdown for that to happen. Let's go ahead and do that now. Right. And, and they'll give them something to remember, even if it's something that, uh, that shifts their thought process, their behavior process, anything that's going to help there. It also opens up the door because if they're taking that initiative on the practitioner end to have that platform, it may not hit me now, but when it does, I have something to reflect on and I have already a built relationship with someone that makes it less intimidating for me to go to that person, that psychologist. But mm -hmm. just to say, hey, here's the person. You know how to get a hold of them if you need anything. Like that, that only goes so far uh, because people have varying comfort levels, especially when it comes to being extremely vulnerable, releasing personal information. And sometimes it's like, 
I got stuff going on in my head that is preventing me from doing what I need to do, but I can't quite articulate what that is. So you need someone to help help you process that to even get it out there, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and so like, I would like to see some of that. And I think it's gonna be the initiative of some of the leagues to get that information from players because I'm sure there's players that haven't stepped up on this that could have some valuable information to add to the conversation as well. And, and let's see some initiatives roll out based on, on some of those findings. I think that's the only way, I think that's the best way to do it because how many times have you seen decisions made without the people that are directly affected by them involved in the process? So you can't just say, oh, I think this will work or this will work. You got to engage the people that are telling you that something's going on. But then on the athlete side, to what you're saying, when those opportunities come, communicate those things. Communicate mm-hmm. those things to the people that are, are going to be able to help you out. So I, I really hope that people take this seriously. It's not just of like, oh, wow, I'm glad this person did that. But because you are right, you know, gymnasts, past gymnasts from years, you know, representing varying countries say, yes, like, I've had to play through injury and then people told me to tough up and go out there because I had the whole country on my back, you know? So like that, that's a lot of pressure that, you know, we don't really understand. Yeah. People that are not in that position. So, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that leagues take this seriously and players step up to communicate some solutions that they feel would help them or at least what is bothering them. And so then the conversation can happen of like, Hey, I'm a trained professional. This is what some athletes have been able to do to help them out when this happens. Try these things and see, and see and keep the conversation going. Or else it's just going to be people continuously, um, I guess, distancing themselves from certain opportunities because of mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't want to see that happen because we want to see the people that work so hard to do these things be able to do them um with with sound mind body and spirit you know and so yeah. there's something preventing that let's address that head on that's just my thing no i mean no i agree because it's again i mean it, it's because to your point i mean it's going to take it's going to take some time because I, I like your idea because or i mean <laughs> you you really need like that sort of like focus group data to really say like, okay, like what sort of variety of services do we need to tackle this particular issue? Cause again, like, again, I mentioned I had like, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but I mean, I've had a panic attack before, but you know, my panic attack may be different from what Simone Biles' panic attack looks like, or whatever. Because for me, and I'll, I'll even be more transparent, like I realized for me, like <laughs> I would, mine was like a slow build. Not necessarily even that day. It would be like two, three days before the game. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I feel like the headache coming on. And then, you know, the next night I couldn't really sleep well. And then it's like, you know, then it's I just get really nervous. Then the hands start shaking. And then it's like before the game, I'm just kind of like, like shut down. And then it just builds and builds and builds. And then in the game, I'm just, then I lose it. Mm-hmm. Some people, it may just 
come on right while they're in the game. So how do you manage that? Because again, like me, I had to realize like once I started to feel those things a few days before, then I would kind of like, okay, let me kind of reset myself and then go on right but you know some people they just it, it's a purely a, a spontaneous event so yes. how do you deal with that what mm-hmm. are, were there actual signs that we could say hey like all right how are you feeling today you know can we do these certain exercises to kind of help calm yourself down mm-hmm. but the athlete is going to need to be transparent and be open and honest about what they're feeling, so you get accurate data to kind of help other fellow athletes. Right. Because, and and this will be my last example, because, you know, because as much as this may be an external thing that gets placed on us in terms of pressure, but injuries, for example, right? Or even concussions. And they always talk about like, you know, well, the medical staff has to protect the player. Well, so the, the, the player has to be honest about what they're feeling in their own body because someone else can't tell you besides like an actual x-ray or if you see like something, there's a hairline fracture or, you know, whatever it is, right? Besides that, those, there's injuries where, you know, like, like, like a tendinosis, right? There's no x-ray for that. Like, that's really you telling me, how do you feel? Like, what are you feeling in your knee? What are you feeling in your ankle, right? Concussions. Part of the process on concussions in terms of the recovery is you as the individual has to tell the doctor, what are you feeling today? How are you feeling today? They can do tests, Mm -hmm. but if I'm still, I can still kind of, pass a certain test yeah but i still may have a headache mm-hmm. but i'm not gonna tell the doctor that because i gotta get back on the field mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can't do that we can't we can't and then then in the end we want to be mad at, at the doctor we can't do that right you have to be open and honest about that so that's where so again for me talking about this whole mental health thing that's where my pushback comes a little bit from an athlete side, being a former athlete, being someone that has gone through it and being someone that didn't fully use their resources all the time. Mm-hmm. That's just where my pushback comes from an athlete perspective. Cause again, I mean, yeah. Should we have more leeway when it comes to that and, and anxiety and even I, someone else I'm thinking of just off the top of my head now is Kevin Love, you know, cause he talked about, you know, when they were playing the Golden State Warriors in the finals, like he had to kind of go back into the locker room and he was having a panic attack because they said they found him kind of like on all fours, like hard to breathe. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like those situations, like absolutely. There should be a space for that where you can have that sort of space to sort of, you know, get yourself back on track or even if you need, you know, sit out a quarter or whatever whatever that is, you know what I mean? Like those situations, yes. But a lot of times this, it takes both sides. It takes two to tango, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to take the athlete being transparent and honest and being willing to do the work mm-hmm. to help push us along. Because again, you can't just take a few days off 
and then come back and expect that anxiety that you're feeling when these situations happen to go away because it's not going to do that speaking from experience mm-hmm. it is not going to do that this this is a prolonged you know scheduled exercises yeah. and even on top of that outside of those sessions you need to do work on top of that on your own yes yeah you know what i'm saying it's it's not it's not this simple like oh okay like you know oh we had this exercise i'm fixed like no it's a prolonged thing it is therapy so you know i hope all of the athletes that are you know speaking out and and all those sorts of things and and obviously again showing support for you know simone bowles which she should get support but again like i just hope that we're all thinking about that side of it too because to your point in order for this whole process to really move forward it's going to need both the athlete and the medical field and the organizations to say okay how do we get past this can we get honest participation out of everybody can we make a sort of you know tangible effort to move it along it's going to take all of those people working together to really do it. So again, I just, I just wanted to mention that because again, I'm not, I'm not really hearing that at all. Which <laughs> is strange because <laughs> when, especially in the media, when stuff comes up, people are able to be like, Oh, you know, this, 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 right. Right, like, right. I'm like, well, Where's the brainstorming? Where's the... That's, like, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, because again, I hear the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, good for you. Yeah, like, oh, you know, Simone, she's great. She doesn't have to prove anything. Like, yes, but how, what's the next, what's the next chapter look like? Like, we're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's, that's not going to be enough. It's just not. And these athletes have done a wonderful job of bringing the conversation to our attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think for so long, people have just internalized it and because people because I think where some people get it twisted is they're, they're saying oh you know it's just it's a soft generation and they're right know, right right like, no, 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 no. I'm like right. no it just has manifested itself in other generations in other ways right substance abuse yep is usually a remnant of mental health the ramification of mental health issues mm-hmm. right abuse uh physical abuse is another one Mm-hmm. You know, so how I treat my significant other and my kids is also part of that. I've, I've, I've not been able to deal with things myself and process them. So I take them out on other people. Mm-hmm. So you look at any type of violence, any type of substance abuse, or even simply. Like, have you ever, you've seen times where like, you've practiced this, you've practiced this, you've practiced this, you've practiced this, and you go out to perform and you mess up. Yeah. Right. right? You go out again, you mess up again. Yep. You mess up again, right? You're in your own head because you know you're capable of doing it. But now you've like, what I pictured myself doing is not what I'm doing. This is not a space that I'm perhaps used to. How do I navigate this in a way that I can get back to that confidence of doing it? We've seen that throughout sports history. Yeah. Right? And there has to be people there to help them along, whoever it may be, whether they're on the team or in your family or a trained, you know, physician, whatever the case may be to get back to that point. But that athlete, what you're saying has to do work to say, okay, I want to take this seriously. 
how do I get myself? Because I don't want to keep going out there and throwing interceptions. I don't want to keep going out there and missing free throw shots, right? So there's a shift in mentality that happens um, throughout that. And so no one wants to see this continuously happen. And so for people to say that it's a generational thing is no, it's not. I think a generation feels maybe more confident in speaking up about it mm-hmm. because they're not willing to take things that certain other generations took and had mm-hmm. to internalize. Uh, so I think it's actually a blessing in disguise that we're going to get through this rough patch here of things. But we're, if we're able to, I think, be responsible about it from all ends, then we're going to create a better environment for our athletes to where we can enjoy sports from a viewer perspective, from a participant perspective, uh, and from a, an organization perspective. Yep. I'm hoping that that's, that's the direction that we end up going. I hope so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So because uh, I, I, I was happy that the United States was able to win the all around gymnastics and you know, did, did an outstanding job in her performance. But it's yeah. just like it, it was missing. You were missing Simone Biles. Like there's just another level that she brings yeah. to the gymnastics that you were missing in that. And so you were happy for, you know, the, the USA team and the other team. Like I think Brazil medaled for the first time ever in yep. gymnastics, I think. So like it was still some cool things to see, but you knew that you were missing a huge component of that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Disappointing to watch. Yeah. I mean, but again, they they pulled they pulled it together. I gotta give them, I gotta give them credit. The girls yeah. are tough, man. Yes, yes. And it was nice that Simone Biles was, you know, there rooting their teammates on. And oh stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a classy move for sure. Yes, yeah. So Hopefully we head in the right direction with that. But you know, that that's it for us on this episode of the Coach's Box. Thank you for stepping in and joining us. We'll be back next week with even more topics. I'm sure something's gonna happen in the NBA. Some move is gonna happen. We're gonna end up talking about that. Uh, more NFL talk uh, as well. And then it's still the Olympics are going on. And uh, you know, I think we're gonna bring to the forefront some of the the latest, some of the sports just to keep people um, updated. Cause I like the addition of some of the sports that they, they've made this year. Yep. I think it's kind of cool to see what other parts of the world are able to bring to sports that have just traditionally been coined as American sports. sports. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, have a great weekend, y'all. Stay blessed. Stay safe. Talk to you next week.